0: Well, good morning. Oh, that's oh, oh, that was so nice. Lovely to see you all. So sparkly. Uh, I'd like to echo uh, Rich's welcome to the wonderful Alpha guys. I have the... Hooray, woo! <clears throat> Come on. I have the privilege of uh, walking alongside these guys, and it's lovely to see you all here. And there's some dotted over there as well. Well, welcome. Well, here we are. As uh, Rich mentioned, we are looking at prayer. And here we are, week three in a four-week series entitled, Making Prayer Count. And as we way of a mini recap, before we dive into this week's message, week one, Chris did a fantastic job opening up the series for us <clears throat> and looking at a particular dynamic of prayer, which the old timers called a prayer burden, which is a God given invitation to press in and seek God for something. And uh, Chris looked at the story of Jesus in the garden, how Jesus indeed responded to that prayer burden. Uh, that was a fantastic message. And last week, uh, Dennis built upon that and talked about the dynamic of faith in prayer. And how faith is there to help us walk into that prayer burden to see what God's got. But in addition, how the process of faith changes us as well. And two great messages I encourage you, if you've missed those, then, or in, indeed, if you've heard it but need to hear it again, go to a website, thevineyardchurch.co.uk, listen to the video, watch the video cast, listen to the podcast, and catch up. Okay, what does week three bring us? Well, as I was thinking about this message this morning, I thought the best way, actually, I'll be honest with you, the only way that I could start this message was with a public confession. Don't worry, it can't be that bad, guys, otherwise Chris wouldn't let me speak in the second service, would he? (laughs) It's not that bad, but here it is, anyway. I sometimes feel a tension between what I know to be true on the one hand and what I see with my eyes on the other hand. Those moments where I read in this wonderful book those fantastic promises of God that healing is for today. That there is power in the gospel for salvation. Promises that I can know God's peace in all situations as I cast my burdens to him and anxieties. Philippians 4.16. Times where people have spoken to me, blessings from God. That he wants to move me into something new. Or indeed I'm praying and I hear from God. And you know I believe these are words from God. I believe them. And so I seek God for them. I ask God for them. Hey, I pray in faith for them. And yet, and yet... I don't always see them. Anyone else know what I mean? Sometimes, is it not the elephant in the room? Why is it, God, that you put a prayer burden for me to pray for my Aunt Agatha for the past 10 years to meet you and know you, and yet she's no closer to knowing you than when I started praying? Why is it, God, that you said to me, you're going to bless my business... And you've told me to pray for that, and I've been doing that faithfully for two years, and I've yet to see a difference. Why? Why is it, God, that you said I should pray for the sick and heal the sick, and so I've joined the ministry team, my right, your left, over here, and yet, (laughs) and yet, I haven't seen anyone healed. Why, God? Maybe, 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 you guys have your own why question. Indeed, maybe you brought your why question with you this morning. And the thing about this why question, of course, I can only speak for myself, is that it often leads to despondency, doesn't it? all kind of want to give up. Well, what's the point? We lose heart. We get frustrated, angry even, at God. Come on, God. Why? And you know what's interesting? There comes a point where we almost come to the end of ourselves and faith kicks in and we say, no, wait a minute, hold on. This is God we're talking about. I believe his word. Anyone else been there? And then there is only one place that the why question can go to in those situations. There is only one place. And that is a heartfelt cry of when? When will you answer me? And so the question before us this morning is this. How do we respond to the question of when? How do we respond to the fact that, as Chris mentioned earlier, just after worship, that God's kingdom is indeed breaking through? We see his rule and reign around us as his promises come. And yet we know, and yet we know, that it isn't fully yet here in all its fullness until Jesus comes again to consummate his kingdom, when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. As we call in the vineyard and other parts of the charismatic movement, the here and not yet. A great way to explain this is the World War II distinction of D-Day and V-Day. For many of you will know that uh, when the Allies secured the beachhead on Normandy, that was when the war was really won, that was D-Day. And yet the battle raged on for a while, heading to an inevitable conclusion to V-Day, where victory was consummated, and that is a great picture for God's kingdom. You see, when Jesus came down here on earth and he said in Matthew four seventeen, what did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. And he died on that cross for you and for me. Took the penalty of our sin, which is death, so that we could have freedom and have a relationship with God. And that was D-Day. And we are heading in inevitable conclusion to victory when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. So the question for us is, what do we do in this period of the here and not yet? Do we live in the not yet bit? Well, you know, if you don't hope for something, you won't be disappointed when it doesn't happen. I've said that. Or, well, what is the point? What is the point? Or do we say, no, I'm not going to live in the not yet bit? And now as John Wimber, the founder of Vineyards, used to say, and indeed our very own Chris and Fliss, our senior pastors, who founded this church 27 years ago. Why? Because they were not going to live in the not yet bit. Bless them. No, they said, no, Lord, it's in the book. (laughs) Let's let's just honor Chris and Fliss now. Come on. Bless you guys. You know, what we see around us is the fruits of their ministry. And it's good to honor our leaders, isn't it? But the truth is, is that when you live in that place, you will have to inevitably face the question of when. You can't ignore it. And you know this question of when is not unique to our modern age. It is not something that is a product of some kind of enlightened revolution. Revelation, revolution? Maybe both in the 20th or 21st century. In fact, we find in this Bible here, the Bible, that the disciples had the very same question to Jesus of when, when is the coming of your kingdom gonna come in all its fullness? And you know Jesus' answer to them 2,000 years ago is as relevant today as life impacting, as life changing today as it was then. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And no prizes for guessing that given that we're in a season called Making Prayer Count, of course the answer is prayer. And we are going to look at a particular, specific dynamic of that. Okay, with that, let us pray and then we're going to get into the answer this morning. <clears throat> Lord, I want to thank you that uh, we are all here, all of us, by divine appointment. That you have personally invited each one of us here, that we are not here by accident. Why? Because you have a message for each one of us. And so, Lord, I pray you give us the ears to hear that. Give us the eyes to see what you have for us this morning. That your word would not fall on, on rocky ground, but on fertile soil to bear fruit for your glory. And God, I do ask that you would just anoint me afresh to preach your word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. All right then, here we go. Let's dive into the text for this morning, Luke 18. Anyone know Luke 18? The parable of the persistent widow, yeah, that's right. Persistence, and that is a dynamic we're gonna look at, persistency in prayer. And the thing is, in order to fully kind of understand this parable, in order to fully grasp the impact of our lives and how it applies to the question of when, we really need to understand why Jesus told this parable. You see, of course it says chapter 18, but the reality is that the discourse, the conversation that was occurring, actually started in in Luke 17, verse 20. And so it's important for us to understand this, and we haven't got time to read it, but I'm going to just touch on a couple of verses. So verse 20, it starts with a question to Jesus from the Pharisees. Now we have to understand, you see, that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at that time, were indeed looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah that would come and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans and to restore the physical, political kingdom of Israel. That was the lens by which they were looking for the Messiah. And so Jesus comes along and they're like, well, I don't know how this guy's gonna get us out of Roman slavery, or oppression, should I say. And so they ask him this question, okay then. Here we go. When is the kingdom of God going to come then? Let's see how he answers this. Can't see any chariots behind him. This will be an interesting one. So Jesus, knowing their hearts, how does he respond? The kingdom of God does not come with observation. What? They must have thought, man, this man's cuckoo. Seriously, does he not know what the Messiah is supposed to do? And then Jesus goes on, I love it. He says this, because the kingdom of God is in your midst, or in other translations, within you. The Pharisees at this point must have thought, what a nutter. You see, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they were looking for the reestablishment of the physical kingdom. But the reason Jesus came was not to reestablish the physical kingdom. He came to restore the kingdom that was in the Garden of Eden before sin entered. A kingdom where God ruled in the hearts and minds of man. That's what Jesus came for, and the Pharisees completely missed it. In fact, we know that's true, because in the text, Jesus said, it says, then he said to his disciples, now I don't suspect that Jesus purposely turned his back on the Pharisees. No, 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 the Pharisees had gone by this point. But yet the disciples were still there, weren't they? Weren't they? they had got past the, well, if I can't see it, it can't be true stage, where the Pharisees lived. And hands up, I've lived there many a time. But no, they wanted to know more. They were at the question of when. That's where they were at. And Jesus, knowing their heart, says there will be a time when you will long for one of the days of the Son of Man. In other words, there will be a time where you will long for the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he goes on to encourage them and says, but you know it's going to come like this. Keep watch, it's coming. At the end of this Encouragement, it's like the disciples look at each other and think, and they say, but when? But where? (laughs) They were in that place of despondency. And you see, it. then Jesus, on the back of that, on the back of understanding the concern, the despondency of the disciples, he tells them this story. And that is the same backdrop that Jesus tells us this story this morning. Because Jesus knows that we get despondent. Jesus knows that we lose heart. But you see, Jesus this morning is wanting our prayers to count. And that's what we're going to learn about in this parable. So, with that, I am going to read this and then we're going to see what God's got for us. Verse 1 Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And I have to smile at this point because some translations say, so that she won't come and weary me out. (laughs) I love that. It's very, very clever. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right. Before we dive into this story, and we're going to learn five key principles on how we can make our prayers count, I want to just touch on the introduction because there's something in this that I want to share. Luke has a habit, you see, of always starting his parables with a summary, a kind of main theme. If you look at the other gospel writers, they will just say, and then Jesus told them a parable. But you see, Luke... They're highly descriptive, no doubt, highly detailed. He was a doctor. Wanted to make sure the reader got the main point. And what's the main point here? Always pray and not give up. There you go. There's the headline. And that's helpful for us because when we're talking about the widow going to the judge, that is a picture of prayer for us. So it's helpful in that respect. But I also want to focus on the accent, which is always. You see, prayer should not be reserved for those emergency procedures when the plane's going down. (laughs) Helpful though they are, and I have said many of those. The point here is that we should always be praying, right? That it should be a lifestyle of prayer. It's as important as the air in our lungs. And you know, I think what's very interesting is that Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, one Thessalonians, at the end of this, and look it up, a bit of homework for you. um, When he talks about the coming of Christ, how does he end that passage? He says to them, therefore, brothers, I urge you, pray without ceasing. We should always be praying. And let's move on. Don't give up. (laughs) Isn't it great? Isn't it great that Jesus knows where we're at? I find that encouraging. Why is that? Well, you see, as we know, Jesus, fully man and fully God. And in his humanity, no doubt would have had those moments of wanting to give up. Does he not say in the word that he was tempted in all things and yet we know he's without sin? And wasn't the whole point of the parable in response to his disciples and that wanting to give up? And so I say that as a way of encouragement to you all. God is saying to each one of you, don't give up. And it's with that that we're going to dive into this. And I want to look at five principles of persistency. And I'm going to take this from one line in verse 3. And there was a widow in that town... And this is the bit I want to focus on. Who kept coming to him with the plea. There it is. Right. What can we learn from that one line? Okay, here's the first one. And apologies up front, because I appreciate this is probably obvious. But the answer wasn't immediate, was it? Here's the thing about when you study scripture. When you get to obvious points, don't just skip ahead. Because oftentimes there is a truth hidden in plain sight underneath. Okay, and this is what I want to pack with us together, because this is really important. This is going to, I get a sense this is going to release some of you guys in prayer, just this one point. What is it? Let's think about this. The widow's claim was not wrong, right? Okay? She had faith to go to the judge, right? She didn't lack faith. She went to the right person, right? The judge, And the judge was capable, right? And yet, and yet, all that was right on her end, the answer wasn't there yet. Why is this important? Because it was nothing to do with the widow, it was due and down to the sovereignty of the judge. And oftentimes when we pray, it's not about what you haven't done right, it's just down to the sovereignty of God. And you might say to me, well, Mark, at the end, doesn't it say, Jesus says, well, how much more speedily will your father come to you? And that's right. But let's be accurate about this. It doesn't say immediate, does it? And I think some of you have stopped praying because someone has said to you, you don't have enough faith. You know what? I release you from that in Jesus' name. Some of you have been bound up and someone's told you that. Well, let me tell you, friends, that's a lie. We call upon Jesus, and yes, faith is a gift, and we say, more faith. But you see, the thing is this, the thing is this, when God encourages us to have more faith, the fruit of that is that we seek him even more. That's how you can know that it's God's word. And so I think this is interesting because this is the perfect antidote for a man-centered world that we live in. And I'm afraid to say, a man-centered theology of God's kingdom, where it's all down to us. And what does it do? It limits the sovereignty of God. I'm sorry, friends. You read this parable, I don't think you can say that, can you? Let's move on to the second point. In spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that her answer wasn't immediate, she kept coming to him. She kept coming. And you know, oftentimes, and I reflect on my own prayer life, I stop when I don't get my answer immediately. And you know, there's three main reasons why, why we don't go to God. The first is this, pride. Well, God knows where I live. <laughs> You're all laughing at me saying, you silly man. How could you pray? It's true, I've said it. Maybe some of you have. Well, God knows where I am. I've asked him once. I'm not going to say it anymore. <laughs> if he needs a translation, he can go and speak to my friend over there because they know my hardship too. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. That's pride. False humility. False humility. Well, I've asked God once and to be honest with you I'm probably not worthy to ask the second time. <clears throat> you know what's interesting about this parable? She was a widow. Why is that significant? That was the lowest of the low. They, you know, widow in the Bible is used to show someone that's helpless. Jesus was intentional in this. We are all helpless. That's the whole point of seeking God. False humility rips us of that, doesn't it? What's the third reason? The lie of the enemy will say this, well, don't bother God. He is the king of the universe, and he does not really care to be honest about that small little thing. Joe over there, well, he's got a big thing he needs to ask God for, and God can't do two things at once. Sounds absurd when I say it, but how many times have we heard that in our head? It's true. You know, I love the revivalist D.L. Moody from Chicago, 19th century revivalist. And he said this on the subject: "Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant come in and ask Him. The way to trouble God is not to come at all." <laughs> That's a pretty impressive statement. So I'd encourage you, if you want to make your prayers count, keep coming to him. Don't stop. Third thing, what can we learn from this line? Well, this: the widow had to go out of her way to see the judge. Think about it. It's not like she was sitting in her room and thought, I need to see the judge. So she leans back in her chair and says, hey, judge. (whistles) Can't whistle. (whistles) Over here, I need you. No? Okay. Think about, let's think about, let's think about what we're reading here. You see, the widow would have had to stop what she's doing, right? Is that God? (laughs) I told you, God answers our prayers. What's he going to say? Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. Anyway, let me carry on. Right, so the widow stops the doing, goes downstairs, puts the coat on. (whistles) Might have been cold, who knows, warm, whatever. Gets her map out. Where's the courtroom? I haven't been there before. Puts that, opens the door, right? Think about this. She'd had to walk down the street and try not to get distracted by people. Walk down the street, head to the courtroom, prepare her heart and prepare her mind. You get the point, right? As Chris said in the first message, and if you haven't heard it, please do listen to it. That we sometimes, in seasons of prayer, need to put time aside for God. Seek and you shall find. Who knows that verse? Okay. Can I be honest with you? I think in our modern age, we have substituted the word seek for a whimsical glance. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but think about it. God's not there, so fair enough. Okay, do you want a good picture of seek? When you've lost your car keys. Then you know how to seek, right? That's what, oh, it's hitting home over there somewhere. Maybe you lost your keys, I'm sorry, I hope you found them. Um, but God is calling to us to seek him. And, and, and listen about this, guys. Jesus, the son of God, had to seek God. You know, he put, he said to the disciples, you wait there, I'm going to go to the garden. He went to the garden. There would have been distractions. And he did that three times, didn't he? And so I want to encourage you guys. Oh, I, I say this as encouragement. Oftentimes, our prayers do not count because we don't truly seek Him. God is inviting you to seek Him, He wants you to seek Him. Just like the widow had to go out of her way. Okay, let's move on to the fourth point. What else can we learn from this? Well, it validates and honors who the judge was. Think about this for a moment. She probably could have gone to some vigilantes, that would have been easier. Some hired mercenaries to sort out her grievance. Or maybe she was a fantastic cook and everyone liked her food, so she thought she'd poison it a bit and give it to the guy or the woman or whoever it was. I mean, come on, think about this. Either I could do it or my friends can do it. And yet, and yet, she went to the judge and that honors the judge. My children, who I I love dearly, I'm their father, right? And if I'm able to provide for them in a particular area and they need that, and yet they didn't come to me, they went elsewhere, that would grieve me, right? And oftentimes it grieves God when we don't go to him. But when we go to him, just like when my children come to me, it honors who I am. And so I'd encourage you in terms of making your prayer count and being persistent, run, run to the Father, run to him. Because in so doing, you might not get your answer like that, but you honor and worship God for who he is. You're saying, I recognize that you're my provider. I recognize that you alone have the answer. That make sense? And that brings us on to the fifth point, which we can learn from this. And it says, a plea. You see, a plea speaks of a specific request, doesn't it? How does this apply to making prayer count? Hear me right on this. There are times where we just soak in God's presence and we just listen. There are times in devotion that we just, our heart just overflows and we worship Him for who He is. There are times in so much pain that we don't know how to articulate what's on our heart, but God promises us the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that no words could utter. What this is talking about in the context of seeing God's kingdom is claiming a promise from God and saying, here God, this is what you said, I'm claiming you for it. And you know, we've looked this past year on prayer and said it's great to get a scripture and pray it to God that honors him, because what we're saying is we believe your word. And so oftentimes, okay, imagine the widow, she's gone to all that effort, she gets to the courtroom, come in, she comes in, Uh-oh. Sorry, wait a minute. it's coming. I forgot, but it's I just you know I mean, I mean, doesn't it say in the scriptures that God knows what's on our heart before we even say it? That's correct. But you know what? That's there to encourage you. Not there to suggest that you don't need to ask for it. We need to be specific. All right, there you go. Five key principles. I hope you made some notes. The answer wasn't immediate. However, having said that, therefore, we need to keep coming to him. Thirdly, the widow had to go out of her way and sometimes, and I get this feeling that God is saying to some of you, you need to put time aside to seek me. Fourthly, it honoured the judge. It honours God when we go to him. And lastly, a specific request. Okay, and then we move on. And then we get to this wicked judge and Jesus says, how much more Will your perfect judge answer you quickly? You know, this is the only parable where Jesus makes an indirect comparison to God. You know the, you know, um, the scripture, I can't remember where it is at the moment, but uh, Jesus says, you know, how mu- you, you want to um, give good things to your children. How much more does your father in heaven want to give good gifts? Why? To really drive home that point. And he's really trying to encourage his disciples here and us to say, how much more does your heavenly father want to answer you? You see, the judge was motivated, wasn't he, this wicked judge, out of selfishness. I don't want that widow to weary me anymore. And yet God is motivated out of a selfless love. And so we get to the end of this story, and like any good story, any good movie, what we discover is that there's been a subtext the whole way through. Something that hasn't been explicitly stated, hidden in plain sight, but without, the story wouldn't make any sense. That without, the main themes would just crumble away. So what's the subtext of this? It's this. The widow had a legal right to access the judge. Think about this. The story makes sense because the widow could go to the judge. When she got there, the doors weren't closed. They couldn't be closed, because she had a legal right. And here's the thing, friends. We have a legal right to have access to God. Think about that. The subtext, the heart of this parable is Jesus. It's because of D-Day that our prayers can count. Because without Jesus coming to sacrifice himself on the cross for yours and my sin, We wouldn't be able to have relationship with our Heavenly Father. The doors would be closed. But it's because of Jesus and the work of the cross that we can have access to our Heavenly Father. Wow. Our prayers count because of Jesus. I'd like to invite the band up as I tell and end with a story. There were two boys who grew up together. Very, very close. In fact, practically brothers. They went to school with each other. They worked with each other for a while. One of them was the best man for the other and then vice versa. But all of a sudden, they drifted apart. 40 years later, they meet up again. This time, one of them was a judge and his friend was in the dock, a convicted criminal. As he saw his friend, he saw his face riddled with guilt, riddled with shame, a helpless look, knowing the crime he had committed. And as the judge looked at him, he felt that love that was always there for him. But what was he to do? He was a judge. And so he passed sentence. An amount of money that his friend could never hope to pay. But if he didn't pay it, it was the death penalty. But in that moment, the judge took off his hat, came down the steps, and walked over to his long-lost friend. I said, I love you, and I've missed you. And he hugged him there, and embraced him. And then, he went into his pocket and pulled out a checkbook, and wrote the full amount of money. He paid the debt in full for his friend. He was now free. And friends, Our judge, our perfect judge, our God in heaven, has paid our price, our debt in full. But it wasn't money. It was something far greater than that. It was his one and only begotten son that took our sins on the cross and bared the penalty of sin, which is death, so that we have access to our Father, that our relationship is restored with him. That is why prayer can count, because of Jesus. So let us worship him now. Amen.